We're in Luke, chapter 1, starting in verse 26. If you have that ready, go ahead and stand and we'll read from God's Word this morning. Again, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city named Galilee, city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Things do not always go as planned, as I know you are well aware. Once when I was returning home from jury duty... Not one of those delightful, unexpected things you get in the mail and just realize you have to miss work and go do jury duty. I got back from jury duty and was opening up the mail and found out that my car needed to be smogged, which wouldn't have been that big of a deal as long <laughs> if it weren't for the fact that the check engine light had been on for some time now. So I knew something that I had been putting off for a long, long time now needed to actually be dealt with. And I took it into my mechanic and found myself hearing those dreaded words, this is going to cost you. And it did. We depleted a lot of our savings account, and the car was in the shop for about four days. Finally got the call. At least it's taken care of. I get to go pick this thing up, get it smogged, get this out of my life for now. Went to pick it up, passed over my debit card, and the bank account just went... Went out to the car turned it on, and the check engine light was still on. And now I'm thinking, how do I go back in there and chew these guys out and still somehow represent Christ? Well, I turn off the car, and I start walking over there, and I'm talking to the guys saying, look, I I just spent thousands of dollars. It's still not working. What are you going to do? And as I'm talking to them, I look out of the corner of my, of my eye only to see my Jeep Wrangler rolling backwards into a tree. Sometimes things don't go as we plan. 
Sometimes we have those kind of days, and I don't like it, because I like to be in control. I like to be able to, to plan my day and expect it to go the way that I have planned, and I hate it when they, it, things just go sideways. And I know I'm not the exception here. I know that we've all had those kind of days. Maybe you've had that experience, the day where your parents announced to you they're getting a divorce. Or maybe you learned that the job that you had been working for for so long and had come to rely upon, all of a sudden, it's going to disappear. Or maybe a business deal or an investment, you were told it was only going to go up, and now it's going sideways. Or maybe that lifelong relationship, you committed yourself to that person, and they come to you and they say, the love that we once had, it's just, it's just gone. Or maybe you've had that experience where you're sitting in the doctor's office and you hear those words that no one wants to hear. We all have plans, we all want them to go a certain way, and so very often they don't go that way. And that was the case with Mary. She had plans, and things take a monumental shift. Let's look back at verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, that is six months after her relative Elizabeth became pregnant with John, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, it's probably good for us to know when he says, O favored one, he's not saying, Mary, you are somehow more holy or more special. God was looking down and he was looking for someone great, someone who was set apart, someone who was just awesome to bear the Savior of the world. And congratulations, you're it. That's not what the angel is trying to get across here. But if you you look at the language, you very quickly realize when he says, oh, favored one, he's saying God is showing favor to you. You have been selected. Just as we, when we were talking about Ephesians, we, before the foundation of the world, God planned to favor us, to to set us apart, to call him to himself. So Mary was set apart, set apart for a special blessing. What was that blessing? Verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be, because it's not every day that an angel appears to you. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. It says that Mary was very troubled. I would be troubled too if I found out I was going to have a baby. (laughs) But even if I was a woman, I'd still be troubled. I'd still be troubled. First of all, it's troubling finding yourself in the presence of an angel. When you look through Scripture and you see times where angels have come and made themselves visible to human beings, what's the reaction that they, that, that, that person has throughout the Bible? It's fear. This is a disturbing, this is a frightening thing. It is not every day an angel comes to you. It's an out-of-ordinary experience. That would be troubling. Secondly, it'd be troubling to find out that you are somehow the recipient of God's special favor. 
not too long ago, my mom got a phone call and said that she had won $3.5 million. And she was troubled. She was very troubled. Not because $3.5 million wouldn't be un- unwelcome. It wasn't because of that. But it was because she immediately was thinking, is this some sort of scam? Am I about to be ripped off? This is too good to be true. I think that would be troubling. And I think it's also troubling just because of the nature of the news itself here. Don't be afraid. You're going to have a baby. That's huge news, isn't it? Even for someone, a woman who had been wanting to have a baby, who had been looking forward to it, all of a sudden you get that news and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. Here it is. Am I ready for it? I know I wanted it, but now do I still want it? Yes, it's a big, big deal. For someone who didn't want to get pregnant, the news of a baby, well, that could be even a bigger deal. But to this young girl who had never even touched a boy, it is shocking news. The baby was not part of Mary's plan. Not by a long shot. Verse 27 tells us she was betrothed. Not married yet, she was betrothed. Jewish girls at this point in history were betrothed at a very early age. It was not uncommon for someone 12 years of age to be betrothed. So it's likely that Mary was was just a teenager when she met the the angel Gabriel. She lived in Galilee, in a town called Nazareth. This was not a place for Jewish royalty. In fact, it's not a place that was well regarded by any Jew for that matter. Galilee was a place that was looked down upon by the Jews who were living in the south, primarily because of the large Gentile population that was there. In fact, they called it Galilee of the Gentiles. And that was not a phrase of praise. Nazareth was especially hated. In fact, it, 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 was, it was Nathan, I think it was, Nathaniel, who, told, who was told that Jesus was coming from Nazareth. And do you remember what his reaction was? He said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's the other side of the tracks. Nothing good comes from that place. In many ways, Mary, just an ordinary girl, Not really all that much going for her. But she did have one exciting thing that was coming up. One exciting thing that was about to happen to look forward to. She was going to be married. And I don't know if she had her Pinterest boards all decked out with wedding gowns or she had Martha Stewart weddings or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. But I I will bet you she was looking forward to that day. And I'll bet you she was in the process of preparing for it. I can imagine any young girl looking forward to her wedding day. She heard the news that she's pregnant, that may not be thrilling news. Having a baby is a wonderful thing, but depending on the circumstances that surround it, it can make things pretty complicated. And that's one of the reasons so many young women these days make that tragic decision to terminate the pregnancy and to have that abortion. 
the timing might be all wrong. The circumstances, they might be difficult. How are we going to afford this baby? The public perception might be unwelcome. This is a scandal. In most cases, it's just not part of the plan. This isn't the way that I thought my life would, be, would unfold. Mary had all of those excuses. This baby, it was not part of Mary's plan. It wasn't her idea. But we know from Luke that it was someone else's plan. This baby was God's plan. Look at verse 26 again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Both the message and the messenger, they originated from God. This was his plan. It's a plan that had its inception. We learned in our last study, it had its inception before the foundation of the world. God, who is completely satisfied just being God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in this perfect relationship, all satisfying, all contained relationship, He willed to create. He willed to create, and yet even before a word was spoken and creation just obediently came into being, even before all of that, God had a plan to save it, knowing that his creation would turn against him, knowing that his creation, that his people would not be able to fix themselves once they rebelled. Knowing all of this, he planned to intervene. This baby was part of his plan. This is what the Apostle Paul writes about in Ephesians 2. We were hopelessly lost. Our relationship with our Creator, there was a wedge between it, completely broken. We were utterly hopeless. But then he writes in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is how much he loves his creation. This is how much he loves you, that even before you were made, he orchestrated a rescue plan. For God so loved the world that he gave. His only son. It's true, this baby was not part of Mary's plan. This baby, though, was the center of God's plan. A far bigger plan that Mary could not have even imagined. Unexpected? Yes. Inconvenient? Absolutely. Reputation threatening? For sure. But who this baby could be was going to be, it completely obliterates any dark shadows his arrival may have cast. What was so special about this baby? Notice first, this baby would be Mary's son. Verse 31 makes that very clear. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, very technical, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus So the baby was going to be Mary's. He's going to have a human mother, and he himself is going to be a living, breathing, thinking human being. And that's important, and we're going to get to that, so let's just put a pin in that for now. 
He was going to be a human being. And yet at the same time, verse 32, he's going to be God's son. Verse 32 says, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. So he's going to be human, but he's not just going to be human. He's going to be divine also. One commentator points out that sons were often known to share the same qualities as their fathers. You've heard the phrase, he's his father's son. When someone is referred to that way, it's, it's essentially, this commentator points out, it's essentially saying this person is equal to their father. It's a, it's, a, it's a statement of equality. In other words, when we talk about here, and it says the Son of the Most High, what the angel is really getting at here is that this is not God's offspring. This baby is going to be equal to God himself. He's going to be fully human. But he's also, at the same time, even as hard as this is to get our minds around, he's going to be fully human, but he's going to be fully God. There's something else here. Not only would he be God's son, but he would be the foretold descendant of David. He's going to be David's son. Verse 32. The Lord God will give to him the throne of of his father, David. He's Mary's son, he's God's son, he's David's son too. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Through Mary's lineage, this baby was going to be a direct descendant of King David and the fulfiller of prophecy. God told David in 2 Samuel 7, he wrote this and it says this in verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, this is to David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This baby was going to be the long-awaited Messiah, a word that simply means the anointed one. Even his name, the name Jesus, it means Savior. That's who this baby is going to be. The Gospel of Matthew actually points out that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It points it out 12 different times. This isn't just any baby. This baby is God's plan of long ago. And one final detail here. This baby was going to be conceived, miraculously conceived, by the Holy Spirit. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary says, How is this going to happen? I'm only engaged here. In fact, both Matthew and Luke, they go out of their way to make it very, very clear. She hadn't been with Joseph. Matthew writes in chapter 1, verse 18, Before they came together, 
it says, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Again, he writes in verse 25 that Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And then Luke leads us in the direction of this miraculous birth, the miraculous nature of the birth, when he has Mary as asking this question, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Clearly, Mary knows how these things work. And she realizes this can't happen. It doesn't work this way. Based on everything I know about babies, they don't just pop up like Cabbage Patch Kids. It doesn't happen this way. And Luke makes it crystal clear that while it's true in normal circumstances, in response to Mary's question, what does the angel say? Nothing will be impossible with God. Even the angel recognizes, yeah, this is, I, I, this is out of the box. Not the way it works. But remember who we're talking about. Who's the one that's going to make this happen? It is God. And nothing is impossible with him. The Holy Spirit was going to do something unprecedented and cause the miraculous to happen. And some people will say, okay, why does it matter? In fact, a lot of churches will take the virgin birth just out of the picture. This is just, it's really far-fetched. It's hard for us to get our heads around doesn't seem possible. Let's just take the virgin birth out and let's just say that was put in by some people later on to make Jesus' birth seem really, really special. We don't really need any of that. And yet the virgin birth is really important for us to understand if we're going to comprehend the mission that he came to accomplish and see how it was actually possible. Jesus had to be fully human. Paul tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. And if you are new, maybe you're visiting, maybe you haven't been to church in a long, long time, that word sin is just a very small, simple word to refer to any word, thought, or action that we do that is against the will of God. And Paul tells us that all have sinned. We've all participated in this type of rebellious thinking, this rebellious heart motivation, this rebellious behavior. The Bible tells us every single one of us have sinned. It's not a pleasant reality to be confronted with. But the Bible makes it clear. We've all done our own thing instead of doing God's thing. Instead of living in line with the way that God designed us to live, we said, hey, I'll do things this way. I'm kind of a free spirit. And it might seem like a harmless thing to do to follow the desires of your own heart, the dreams of your heart, and go your own way. But the Bible makes it very clear that to divert from God's way has serious consequences. And one of them is to have God's anger directed towards you. When we rebelled against God, we went our own way, like sheep wandering away from a shepherd. It was us that did it. We were the ones who deserved our own punishment. In other words, it was a human problem. Human beings have this problem. No one else has this problem. And it, it, so the debt was owed by humans. 
And because of that, it was only human beings that could pay the debt that was owed. And so it is that Jesus here is fully human, qualified to pay a human debt. It's so vitally important that Jesus was fully human. Because he was Mary's son, he was. He didn't just appear that way. It wasn't some type of apparition that was just kind of floating around with people and it was really, really convincing like some of the virtual reality stuff or the, the, the holographic. You can go to a concert now and watch someone who has been dead for years and years and they can be right there on stage because of the, the wonders of holograms. And it's a, No, Jesus wasn't that. He was flesh and blood. And because of that, he could actually suffer and he could actually die. And because of that, he was able to be our substitute. Romans 5.18 says, therefore, is one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. The one man's obedience. Jesus was that one man through whom others could be made right. Hebrews 2.17 tells us he had to be like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. When Jesus went to the cross and died, he was really a man. He was a man in every way. And because of that, he was able to represent us. But it wasn't enough for Jesus to just be human. He had to be fully God as well. Jesus had to be fully God. He had to be something other than just human because all humans have this sin problem. We've all gone rebellious. A sinner can't pay for the sins of other sinners. A sinner has to pay for their own sin. Bible says that the wages of sin is death. If the wages of sin, if what you earned for sinning, for rebelling against God, if that was just a bag of popcorn, it would not be a big deal. You pop one bag for yourself, this pays for my sins, and I'd like to pay for the sins of everyone in here. So I went to the store and I got a bunch of microwave popcorn, and here it is. Look at all these bags of popcorn. They're all paid for. I'm taking care of my friends here. But it's not like that. If two criminals were on trial, they, they, they were convicted, they were sentenced, they're both facing the death penalty. One criminal can't say to the judge, he can't say, you know what, uh, since I'm going to die anyway, I'm going to die also for my friend over here. I, it doesn't work that way. He's got to pay for his own sin. He can't pay for the sin of this guy over here. It, it, it doesn't work. And so it had to be someone who was more than a human to pay for the sins of other humans. It had to be someone who had no sin of his own. He had to be spotlessly, squeaky clean. And because Jesus was fully God, he fits the bill. Jesus was sinless because he was fully God. He didn't inherit sin that was passed down from a human father. He doesn't die for his own sin because he had no sin. So he could stand in for us and say, I'm their substitute. Yeah, I shouldn't be here on my own. I got nothing to pay for, but I'm going to pay my life for theirs. We're going to do an exchange here. 
Some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture describe this very thing. 1 Peter 2.22 He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile. In return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. justly. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is incredible news. Jesus had to be both fully human and fully God to accomplish this great work. He had to be Mary's son. He had to be God's son. This is God's plan. The amazing thing about Mary, we'll bring it back to her, the amazing thing about Mary is that she was able to recognize God's plan. The little that she knew of it, she knew that it was infinitely important, more important than any plans that she could have ever had. Let's just take a quick look at Mary's response here. We've already mentioned that her reaction to the angel Gabriel was one of fear in verse 29. She was greatly troubled, understandably so. Another one of her responses in verse 34 was uncertainty. She said, how can this, how, how can this be? I'm a virgin. It's a good question. But the thing that is truly amazing to me is the third response. It's one of humble and willing submission. Verses 38, 46 through 49. Mary says, Behold, talking to the angel, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. One pastor wrote, This is surely one of the most courageous statements ever recorded. Let it be to me according to your word. Why is this courageous? Well, it's courageous because getting pregnant out of wedlock could have ruined everything for her. Jewish engagements in that day, they were almost as legally binding as marriage itself. In fact, an engagement could only be broken by divorce. You would have to get an official divorce letter to break off an engagement. If word got out that Mary was pregnant, she would almost certainly have lost any good name that she may have had and probably lost her fiancé. Who's going to believe that this pregnancy is miraculous when this has never happened before? In fact, that's exactly what happens here. Even though he loved her deeply, when Joseph heard the news, Matthew records his intention, I, I, I have no choice. I, I have to divorce you. I'll do it quietly, okay, because I care about you. I love you. But the, it's not an option. I have to divorce you. Not an option. And that may sound harsh, but according to one theologian, this may have been a really, really gracious move on Joseph's part. This theologian says, she could have easily lost her life. 
He writes that if a fiancé was found unfaithful, quote, a betrothed husband could divorce her or have her executed. You know, in some ways, the angel's announcement, God has found favor on you, that could have been considered an announcement of doom. Of doom. It could have meant death to all of her hopes and dreams. And death to, well, death itself. A literal death. Have you ever had your plans change to a certain, to such a degree that it felt like certain doom? But the amazing thing about Mary is how she recognized that however big her plans may be, God's plans were far more important, even if that meant great cost to her. It was worth it. Notice she calls herself the servant of the Lord. She put herself, her life, at God's disposal. This is what my life is for. God, it's for you. And so I was going to get married, but if I'm not, if I'm not to be married, if 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 I'm going to have this baby, everyone everyone's going to know that I'm uh, I'm a, I'm a mess, and then no one's going to believe that it was of you. And and I may even be killed for this, but that God, that's okay because my life is yours. I am your servant. If this is for your purposes and your glory, then let it be to me according to your word. She didn't know the full extent of God's plan. She didn't know the intricate details of the Savior that would be born and transform everything. She probably knew that God is in control. She probably did know His ways are not my ways. And she also probably knew he knows what's best. He knows what's best. And in those things she trusted. And it was that trust in God that transformed this incredible interruption in her life into a great privilege for her. Listen to the first few words of her song that's recorded in Luke 146. Mary said, this is incredible. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You know, it's one thing to just go, go with the flow. I didn't plan this, I didn't expect this, but it's here. It is what it is. That's one thing. But she goes far beyond that and praises God for it. Absolutely incredible. And she can do so because she recognized that while her plans were important to her, God's plans were far better and had to take precedent over her own. What about you and I? When things don't go as planned, what is our response? If we follow Mary's lead, we do as she did, and we humbly submit to God's infinitely better plan. It may not make sense. We may not understand it. 
for the rest of our lives here on earth. And yet because we have faith in Him, we trust. But you know, unlike Mary, we have an incredible advantage over her. I'll land this in just a second. We have an incredible advantage. And that is we've seen the unfolding of God's great plan. Paul says the mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages. We now know it. We now know who Jesus Christ is. We've seen his work just bloom even in our own lives. We have watched and have participated in the salvation that he has already brung and we have the hope that that is going to be fulfilled in heaven. This is incredible. We understand God's design and we know what the end result will be. He's shown his unimaginable love toward us. How much more should our confidence be in him? How much more should our trust be in him? When we have trouble of all sorts, different kinds, even as severe as it may be, even threatening our very lives, and yet we know in whom we have believed. And we know he is faithful. And he's going to carry the good work he began to completion. Amen? It's amazing. Pastor Timothy Keller out in, uh, on the other side of the country, he said something very profound once. He said, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. And I said one more thing, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. God's plans are bigger, they are better, they are wiser than our own. They're exactly what our plans would be if we were in God's shoes. As we find ourselves facing difficult interruptions to our plans, maybe even today, may we remember Mary May we remember that God's plans are infinitely better than our own. And like Mary, humbly submit ourselves to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this incredible example of trust, of faith in you. And Lord, we know it's not Mary who is the one who should be praised here. This is you working in her, working through her, giving her the faith that she needed Lord, but we praise you. We pray, Lord, that we would learn from it, that we would remember the interruption, the incredible, difficult interruption that she faced to her plans and how she trusted you. And, Lord, you brought about the greatest plan ever, the plan that has impacted each one of us who have placed our trust in you. We praise you, Father. We pray that you would give us a similar kind of faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.